And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the way you want, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 109 of Lupa's Bits. I am your host, Lupa, and I'm sure that you can tell by the sound of my voice, I am sick. Um, I have caught the plague from my (laughs) nephew and my nieces. Um, Not the COVID plague, just the regular plague. But uh, I still feel like death warmed over. But today's a good day, so, you know, I'm death warmed over at a nice... 350 degrees. So um, things are going to be a little different tonight. I might be a little spacey because I'm going to try and do two things at once. I'm going to try and do a stellar podcast with some fabulous information for you. And I'm also going to try, as you can hear, I'm unzipping. I'm also going to try and sew at the same time. I have a wedding to attend to on Saturday. And the bride had requested me to make her a cloak. So I am in the process of sewing the embellishments onto said cloak. And I don't want to be doing it the night before the wedding. Um, So I'm going to try and sew while I give you this very interesting yet informative. Is that my needle? Yes, that's my deal. Very interesting yet informative podcast. Um, I haven't been given any housekeeping yet, so we're going to wing it for housekeeping. Apparently, according to my studio, my live studio audience, there is no housekeeping. Um, I do have a major announcement to make. Uh, you have probably noticed that the ads for um, Blink. Yeah, you're gone. My live studio audience. Okay, I I, I understand you. Will you let me talk? <laughs> he froze, so he has no idea that I was about to make a very major announcement. And he's still making fish lips at me like I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> anyway, um, you've probably noticed that the ad, ads for PCE have stopped. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, As of two days ago, I believe it was, we had um, no vendors. And unfortunately, the interest in pursuing vendors and trying to pull this together by the committee was um, lackluster, lackluster at best. And everybody has really busy lives. And we just couldn't get it pulled together um, as hard as some of us may have tried. So we have canceled it for 2022. Yes, I am heartbroken. Yes, I cried. I'm not going to lie. I cried. I have a a personal connection to that uh, particular event. Um. 
So having to cancel it yet again for the third time um, stung a lot. But yeah, it's canceled and we, Jason Live Events has now closed. So um, I'm not exactly sure where we're going to go from here in that aspect as uh, one of the prizes for our open contract challenge winner is a trip to PCE. Um, so we need to figure out what we're going to do there. Either, um, I don't know, I don't, I'm not going to speculate. We do have some ideas in the works, but until I have something concrete, I'm just going to uh, keep those ideas to myself. So yeah, there is no PCE 2020, 2022, holy moly, going to happen. And like I said, we're going to regroup. I have a few meetings scheduled in November and December um, to discuss the possibility of some things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but there will be no PCE. Um, unwelcomed. Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go over to the good news. <laughs> let's go over to the good news. Unwelcomed is, I think, just about ready to go to the printer. Um, the second round of galleys has been sent out. And do we have all the sign-offs back yet? Okay. So if you're listening to this and you're in Unwelcomed and you have not sent the sign-off or your further changes in today, get them in. Time is a ticking. Um, so that's coming out soon. I'm very excited about it. Um, I have a story in it, a cautionary tale, if you will which I may actually read some of it to you closer to Halloween. Once the book is out, I think what I might do is um, read my story to you on my podcast. I might, or read some of it to you to give you a little taste of what the book is like. The book is chock full of, of incredible stories. I had the absolute distinct pleasure of editing this book, so I got to read all 15 stories, 15, I believe there's 15, um, and they were great, they were absolutely fantastic. One, literally, um, I, I need to learn, especially when it comes to this particular writer, to not um, be drinking something if I'm going to read her work, because Melissa Ridley-Elms makes me laugh every single time, and this was no different, and I spewed tea out my nose onto my laptop. It was not pretty. Anyway, so I'm looking forward to this book coming out and I will update you with the date as soon as I can. Um, final edits are being done on Gabriella Balcom's new book, which is coming out on the large release will be on November 26th. So look for that. It's called Down with the Sickness and Other Chilling Tales. I'm excited about that. Okay, so moving on from that. Um, my week has been meh. I don't know. Uh, I got sick. Everybody's sick. Um, still helping out here. And I will be heading to Midland on Friday. You'll be listening to this, and I will be beetling my little butt all the way up to Misha's place on Friday. 
and we're going to have, I'm going on Friday because she really, really, really wanted me to stay Saturday night and um, get into a condition where I could not drive. I had to bow out because I have um, a road trip planned for Sunday. I'm going to New Brunswick and I don't want to be hungover <laughs> to drive 12 hours. That would not make my day. So I'm going up Friday night, so I'll be hungover for her son's wedding on Saturday, <laughs> which is the cloak that I'm making. Um, so I'm excited about that. Her and I are going to have a, I mean, and it's funny because the last time we got together and we said, yeah, we're going to get our drink on, going to have a couple of drinks, going to have a few margaritas. We're going to, you know, get rowdy like we used to. And I think it was like three drinks in. And they were, I mean, it was tequila. So come on, three drinks in and we're like, we're both still sober. It's one o'clock in the morning. Let's go to bed. <laughs> and we would just go to bed. So um, I'm not sure what this is going to hold. It could be rather interesting. All right. So tonight's episode is a two-parter. First, I'm going to regale you with wonderful facts about the month of October. Because it is October. Um. Oh, just so you know, FYI, on the magazine, uh, notifications for submissions will be going out uh, within the next two days. So Friday will be the 20th. If you have not received a notification of oh, Friday's the 21st. Okay, so if you've not, it, notifications will have already gone out by the time you listen to this as to whether or not you're in our October issue. Okay, so. As I was saying, this episode is a two-parter. So the first part is going to be all the fun facts about October and, you know, Halloween and things like that that I've been doing every week because, you know, it's October. It's pretty much the entire month is Halloween. And then the second part is going to be the part that I've kind of been working on um, for a couple of weeks now. I wanted to do this and I've had this idea bouncing around in my head. And then when I found out that my marketing podcast was so popular, I that kind of solidified for me that, yes, I need to do this particular podcast in this particular month because, you know, it's Halloween, all things scary. So what we're going to do, what I'm going to talk about the second part of the podcast, <laughs> if I can make it that far, is how to write a scary story and how to write a horror screenplay. There are five essential elements that you need for not just a, a scary story, but for a horror screenplay as well. So, but you're going to have to wait for that. We're going to get into that in a minute. And some of these things have come from um, masterclass teachers such as R.L. Stein, Margaret Atwood, um, Dan Brown, Dean Kuntz. So these are top level. My live studio audience is a little upset that I didn't ask him, but he doesn't realize he's going to be on the show. <laughs> I think I'm scared of him now. See, <laughs> um, I didn't even ask him if he'd be on the show. So, you know, we'll see how that how that plays out. OK, so first part, we're going to delve into how far am I in? Am I still going? I'm only 11 minutes in. All right. 
So October fun facts. Here are some fun facts about, okay, that's if they let me, they want me to disable my ad block, which means I'm going to have a crap ton of stuff. All right. Never mind. They didn't, they didn't make me do it. Okay. So Halloween, Halloween. Okay. So October is not just Halloween in Canada. It's also football. It's also Thanksgiving. And I'm pretty sure in Canada and the U.S., it's everything pumpkin spice. Except for me. I don't like pumpkin spice. And I know in the United States, it football is huge this time of year. Because they're gearing up for the big event in November. Now, I happen to know two people that I happen to love very, very dearly that have birthdays in October. The first one would be my daughter. Her birthday is October 2nd. And the second would be my grandson. And his his birthday is October 20th. A little Halloween baby. Almost. Um, so, the thing with... Okay, so they're saying these are 10 interesting facts about babies born in October. One of the things they're saying is that they're more likely to be athletic. Um... Not if you look at my daughter. <laughs> She's not athletic. It's time to invest in a toy football. Research suggests that October babies are more physically fit and athletic than those born in other months. A study published in the International Journal of Sports Medicine tested the strength, stamina, and cardiovascular fitness of 9,000 kids between 10 and 16 years old and found that those born in October and November performed significantly better than their peers. One possible explanation, well, I could give you two possible explanations. One possible explanation is more sunshine and vitamin D for moms-to-be means stronger bones and muscles for their babies. The other possible explanation is it's damn cold in October and November, so those little puppies are running around just to stay warm. Okay, so they're probably not born on Halloween. Turns out that fewer moms go into labor and give birth on Halloween than other days in the month, according to a study. Woo-woo. Valentine's Day has an increase in birth rates, you think? Um, they have two birthstones in the month of October, opal and tourmaline. And both are straight up magical. But if opal isn't your birthstone, then you may want to stay away. They're said to be bad luck if those, if worn by those not born in October. So anybody out there thinking about buying me anything with a gemstone in it, don't buy me an opal. I have enough bad luck all on my own. Uh, their birth flower is the cosmos. Yes, Katie loves these flowers. When it comes to your baby's birth flower, she's lucked out with some special blooms. These pretty jewel tone flowers symbolize peace and serenity. Hmm. Uh, they're either Libras or Scorpios. My daughter is a Libra. And that is born between September 23rd and October 22nd. My grandson is also a Libra. And they are said to be sincere, kind, and lovers of harmony and peace. Wow, did they get that wrong? And then Scorpios, born between October 23rd and November 22nd, which is my best friend Crystal, are known for being loyal, strong-willed, and mysterious. That one they nailed dead on the head. Strong-willed for sure. More presidents were born in October than any other month. 
want your October baby to be commander-in-chief? It's not impossible. More American presidents have celebrated their birthday in the month of October than any other month. This includes Adams, Roosevelt, Eisenhower, Hayes, and Carter. Uh, they're good in company. They're in good company. Sorry, they're in good company. October birthdays aren't just for presidents. There are some cool people born in October, including Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, and Bruno Mars. They're slightly taller. No, really? That's a lie. A flat out lie. My daughter is five foot two. My grandson is in the lowest percentile for his height. That is a lie. <laughs> One study from Bristol in Great Britain found that later summer and early autumn babies are slightly taller on average. Not even maybe. Then these kids born in winter and spring, just like your October athletic prowess. Again, I don't know where they're getting these facts because the October people that I know are not. They're less likely to have cardiovascular disease. Well, that's good to know. Um, because I have cardiovascular disease. And I don't wish that on anybody. And they're more likely to live to, to 100. Oh, dear. Yeah. They're more likely to live to 100. Well, the women in my family do tend to live a long time. Um, so those are just 10 interesting fun facts about October babies. I happen to have two in my life. Now, here are 20 interesting facts about October, the month itself. In October 1974, I was two, the very first McDonald's in the UK opened its doors in London, and it is still operating today. It's pretty cool. Sitting square in between September and November, October is the 10th month of the Gregorian calendar. October is seen by many to be a time of real seasonal change, both in the northern and southern hemispheres. For those in the north, autumn is really kicking into gear and the nights are getting cooler. Cooler? Cooler? No, dude, it's downright frosty. We have had frost warnings. It is frosty. You're southern hemisphere, baby. Southern hemisphere. I am northern hemisphere. I will be Southern Hemisphere shortly. The harvest festivals are over and the nights are getting longer and longer by the day. Well, I know everybody's all excited about the first day of summer and I'm like, no, man, no, no, no. Days are getting shorter now. I am excited by the first day of winter. Days are getting longer. October is also a time to start stocking up on firewood for long winter seasons to ensure you're kept warm all the way through until spring. Are you listening? My darling. He has a lovely fireplace, so we need wood. October is unsurprisingly quite different for those who live in the Southern Hemisphere. Spring is already bloomed. Oh, okay, so we're talking Southern Hemisphere as in, like, Australia. We're really going south, down to where Tim lives. So spring has already bloomed in all its glory, and life is becoming more and more pleasant by the day. Cooler nights can still be found, but overall, it's a wonderful time to get outside and enjoy the warmth of the sun. Like every other month of the year, October has plenty to show for itself. So, the origins of October, the traditions we celebrate during it, as well as some interesting little facts, bring it all together. The meaning behind October's name is far from accurate these days. The ancient Roman calendar was based on the lunar cycles as opposed to our current calendar, which is based on the solar cycles. This meant that there were originally 10 months 
in their calendar, and October was the eighth month. Its name literally translates into the eighth month in Latin. In 451 BC, the two months of Inarius and Februarius were added to the beginning of the calendar, making October the 10th month. There are seven months in the year with 31 days, and October is the sixth of them. Now, if you remember from school, you were taught this little rhyme, 30 days, half September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except for February, which has 28, 29 each leap year. It's supposed to be a poem, but it doesn't really rhyme. The amount of days hasn't changed over the ages either, with the ancient Roman calendar also placing 31 days in October. The Anglo-Saxons name October, name for October was Winter Phallus. I hope I pronounced that right. With its name containing the words for winter and full moon, respectively. It was named this because winter was said to begin from the first full moon of the month. The Saxons had a name for October, too. Theirs was Winmonoth, which translated into wine month. Woo-woo! I like that. Because it was the time of the year for making wine. I'm not sure about you, but I think October just became my favorite month. October is a rather beautiful time of the year if you live in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the time of the year that the color of leaves begin to change into a magnificent array of hues. This year, the colors up here are just incredible. We have brilliant, brilliant reds, like vibrant, vibrant reds, and like stunning pumpkin oranges and yellows. It's just beautiful. The Twyford Church in Hem Hampshire, UK, has a tradition of ringing its bells every year on October 7th. The origin of this tradition goes back to the 18th century, when a local resident called William David, kind of funny, became lost in a heavy fog while riding home at night. Much to his luck, he heard the church bells toll from this, and he managed to find his way home. As a form of thanks, he left some money to the church when he died so that the church could continue to ring their bells on October 7th every year, just in case there were any other lost travelers. The first full moon. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. The first full moon after the harvest moon quite often falls in October and even has its own name, known as the hunter's moon. It is one of the only two full moons, along with the harvest moon, that aren't connected to a specific month. Depending on the year, the hunter's moon either falls in October or November. The world-famous Indian political and spiritual leader Mahatma Gandhi was born on October 2nd. Oh my goodness, my daughter was born the same day as Mahatma Gandhi in 1869. His, world renown, his worldwide renown is attributed to the non-violent way in which he resisted the colonial British rule of India. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, you'll be rewarded for keeping your eyes to the skies in October, as the Draconid meteor shower can be seen. Oh, it's beautiful. Contains a single comet that is visible exclusively in the Northern Hemisphere between October 6th and October 10th. An even more impressive meteor shower that is visible in both hemispheres is the Orion. I can never pronounce this. Orionid meteor shower, which runs from October 2nd until early November. 
It is named after Orion, as is usually visible in the same part of the sky as the constellation. At the peak of the meteor shower, as many as 20 meteors are visible every hour. That's a whole lot of wishes. On October 1st, 1949, the People's Republic of China was founded. Mao Zedong ruled the republic from its founding until his death in 1976. Oh, yes. The beer Bavarian Festival Oktoberfest takes place every year in Munich, Germany. The festival usually runs for 16 days from mid-September until the Sunday of the first weekend in October. The event has been held since 1810 when Prince Ludwig of Bavaria won a festival to celebrate his marriage with Teresa, the princess of Saxony Hilberghausen. I need you German-speaking people to do these for me. October has just one birthstone. No, it doesn't. It has two. Oh, you weren't looking at me. You were reading something. See, I always think he's staring longingly at me and he's just really reading a text message from somebody. <laughs> October has one birthstone, but with this dazzling stone, who needs another? Well, tourmaline is also its birthstone, but anyway. October's birthstone is the opal, which is valued by the ancient Romans as the most priceless of all. The opal comes in a myriad of striking colors that often seem to swirl together and is a symbol of both faithfulness, purity, and hope. And that is one of the reasons why we named our daughter. Um, her middle name is Hope. It wouldn't be October without Halloween, which is celebrated on October 31st. The celebration's origins go all the way back to the Gaelic people of modern-day England, Scotland, and Ireland, who celebrated the Festival of Samhain. Among other activities, the original celebrants of Samhain would dress in costumes or disguises and go door-to-door -door receiving gifts of food, much like how today's children dress up and receive treats. Another Halloween tradition, albeit quite modern, is the yearly airing of The Simpsons Halloween Special, the Treehouse of Horror episodes. This modern tradition began on October 25th, 1990, and has aired every year since. The episodes all follow the theme of horror in line with many other activities that are celebrated during the Halloween period, like this that just popped up, pumpkin carving ideas. There you go. October has two strikingly different birth flowers, the pastel-hued cosmos and the radiant marigold. The cosmos flower is representative of the joy one finds in peace and love, as well as representing peace. The marigold, otherwise known as the calendula, is also said to be a symbol of tranquility, grace, and grief. There is an amazingly varied number of holidays and observances celebrated throughout the world in October. Some of which stand out the most are World Vegetarian Day on October 1st, World Animal Day on October 4th, World Food Day on October 16th, and International Animation Day on October 28th. I think I like that celebration. Some of the wackier holidays that are celebrated in the U.S., of course, deserved their own listing. And we're sure you'll agree. October 4th is National Noodle Day. October 16th is National Fossil Day. Sweetest Day is on the 17th. And Boss's Day is celebrated 
on the 19th. So happy early Bosses Day. It's Bosses Day tomorrow. I'm recording on the 18th. <laughs> Those born in October can be born under one of two very different star signs. If you're born before October 23rd, then you have the sign of Libra. Those born on October 23rd or later have the sign of Scorpio. Libras are said to value harmony and diplomacy. They're said to be both intelligent and kind. That is my daughter. Scorpios are quite different, valuing trust and honesty above other things, as well as being quite intense yet imaginative people. Yes, yes, yes. She's helping me work on a Christmas present, actually. If you live in the UK and love McDonald's, we've already talked about this one, it was opened October 1st in 1974. It's located in Woolwich in the south of London. So those are 10 fun, 20 interesting facts. Now I have some 30 awesome October facts. So let's just see what this has. Tourmaline and Opal are the official birthstones. Star sign, yeah. Shakespeare never mentioned October in any of his plays or sonnets. He has touched every single month but October. In German and Dutch, October is called October, with a K. In Italian, it's Ottobra. In Turkish, it is Oktoba. And in Korean, it is Siwil. Oh. Uh, babies born each year during October are thought to be very smart and are usually high achievers. Again, I call bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, but I do. October and January always start on the same day of the week in common, in common years. In leap years, October doesn't start on the same day of the week as any other month. October and February also always end on the same day of the week. That is interesting. October is a very special month with 31 days full of wonderful celebrations. Uh, with important historical days too, cool national and global celebrations, you and your family and friends will be giddy for October to arrive. Here's some of the favorite things that happen in October every year. National Homemade Cookie Day is on the 1st of October. Plan something nice for your family and friends on National Do Something Nice Day. That's on the 5th. The 12th of October is one of the biggest days in the history of America. And it is as it is the same day Columbus arrived in America in 1492. It is the day Christopher Columbus Day is celebrated. Thanksgiving Day is also celebrated in Canada on this day. Our Thanksgiving has moved around all over the place from day to day to day, from month to month to month. It was originally in June. Um, world... You're still listening? Okay. World World Smile Day is on the first Friday of every October each year. It is a great excuse to give a big smile to your friends and family, or even your teacher. For any little animal lovers out there, don't forget that October 15th is World Animal Day. October 28th is National Chocolate Day. Ooh, I could get behind that holiday. Not a problem. Halloween, of course, is on the 31st. Now... October was named after the Latin word octo, meaning eight. We have already, we already got, talked about that being the eighth month. In October 1888, 
the first ever National Geographic magazine was released. The Statue of Liberty arrived in the United States all the way from France in October of 1886. October 12, 1999 was a very important date for the whole world as it was the day we reached a population of 6 billion people. In October 1884, the time zones of the world were created. This was based on the Greenwich Meridian time zone, which helps us understand time zones. Nope, it confuses me to no end. October has seen more presidents of the United States born than any other month of the year. In October 1968, the 19th Summer Olympics was held in Mexico City. It was the first Olympic Games held in Latin America, ever. October used to be called Winterfellen by the Anglo-Saxons, which means the fullness of winter. Little Women by Louisa May Alcott was published in October 1868. Wonderful book. Disney World in Florida opened in October 1971. It is only a year older than me. Good grief. Okay, so these this is October in culture. The month of October is full of great cultural events and is a month that celebrates many important cultures. So it's the 10th month and celebrates Family History Month, National Book Month, woo-woo, National Roller Skating Month, Country Music Month, and LGBT History Month. National Indigenous People Day is celebrated on the 12th of October. National Hispanic Heritage Month takes place in October, running from 15th of September to the 15th of October. October is a very busy month for food lovers. It's the month of pizza, cookies, sausages, popcorn, and dessert. It's because everybody's getting all their good stuff in before they start their New Year's resolution of getting skinny again. October is famous for its beautiful fall leaves, but it's full of many more interesting nature facts that you'll love. This is October in nature. In the Northern Hemisphere, October happens in autumn, but in the Southern Hemisphere, October falls in spring. For each hemisphere, October is in the same season that April is for the other hemispheres. October babies are more likely to live to 100 than those born in any other month. The night sky is much clearer in October, so it is the perfect time to go stargazing. Each year, October is a big mating season for elk, white-tailed deer, moose, and even porcupine. So look out for these cute little baby animals. Um, well... I would more be telling you to look out for the moose because it's rutting season. And that's what I want to talk about that. It's rutting season. Do you know what rutting, you know what, do you, do you know what that means? That means the male moose will go head to head with their big horns. Now, remember, they are drunken toddlers fighting over the females in the area. Now, Crystal and Brian have been told that the moose will walk right down their street that they have had rut fights in the front yards of their neighbors. And when moose are chasing a female, they don't care. They will run out in the middle of the highway. So I'm actually hoping to get to New Brunswick before it gets dark. Um, I'm not holding my breath, but, you know, that's the goal. So... That is all of the facts that I have for you for the month of October. And that is our October tidbit for this week. Um, we'll save, we'll get back into the spooky scary. I want to 
go to the second half of the show now. I want to talk about how to write a horror story or how to write a scary story because horror from any other genre is different. Fantasy, romance, history, um, sci-fi, they all kind of have the same um, fantastical elements to them. They all have mystical creatures and like aliens and dragons and made up things. Horror can be based in reality. The killer can be your next door neighbor. So horror as a genre is different from every other genre because of that simple fact, because you can create the fear and the terror and the suspense in an everyday world where you will watch the horror movie. You'll shut the horror movie off and then you'll be sitting there looking around your house going, what the hell, man? And sleeping with every light on, walking down the street, making sure you've got your hand on your mace can in your purse because you don't know. I mean, if you watch, um, I don't know, Chucky, it's a doll. It's a scary freaking doll. But it's still a doll. You can go out into the world and carry on. But if you watch something like Scream, that wasn't some possessed doll. That wasn't some pinhead dude from the seventh realm of hell. That was in the first one. That was her boyfriend. And then, you know, family members as you carry on throughout the numerous screams that there are. It was a real person with a vendetta. So with horror, the scariest element is not what some big bad monster can do. For me, like Freddy, Jason, um, I mean, they were kind of, they were real people too. Um, Leatherface scares me more because that's an actual person, whereas Freddy has this mystical, eternal, vampiristic immortality to him. The same with <laughs> the same with Jason, the same with Michael Myers. They're immortal. They have that immortality air about them. So they fall into the fantasy killer realm. Um, Leatherface is a real dude. So horror can take an average person and put them in a non-average scenario. And that's what you need to do when you're writing horror. So to write a scary story, just your average scary story, there are seven things you should remember, okay? Now, this is coming from R.L. Stein's Masterclass. So writing scary scenes is more about more than picking a good thriller or a good horror premise. The way you write your story can contribute to how scary it is. Good, creepy stories that I have read rely on a blend of taking old tropes and making them new again, adding a new twist, refreshing them. Um, pacing. Pacing is important. You don't want to rush the scares. You don't want to rush the... the um, 
the horror. You want to build it, but you don't want to drag it out too long either, or you're going to lose your reader. They're going to get bored and they're going to figure it out. Um, twist endings. And in some cases, strategically placed line breaks to build up and pay off the scary stuff. Whether you're a horror writer crafting a scary story or looking to write the next great horror novel, these seven tips are essential. Okay, so use your environment. Scary movies and television shows can use jump scares. They can use makeup and special effects to frighten the audience. You have your words on that paper. So writing scary literature requires its own method of manifesting fear. You need to set up your environment as vividly as possible to fully immerse your readers into that setting. Vividly describe an enclosed space can elicit feelings of claustrophobic, claustrophobia. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about it right now and it's just giving me the willies. Every time I read something that has to do with maggots, when they're describing how they're moving and how they're rising and, and the whole image is seething and I just, oh, this gives me the willies. Gives me the willies every single time. A dark and quiet house can become more frightening when a character suddenly hears the creak of an upstairs floorboard. And if you read my story in um, Unwelcomed, you'll understand what I mean. Being an outsider in an unfamiliar place, like um, you arrive, wrong turn, small town, no cell service, um, not knowing your surroundings, not speaking the language. Um, everybody in town knows everybody. You're the, you're the odd man out. It can be, it's already unsettling and it can be even more unsettling if they're, um, kind of leering at you and, and whispering as you pass by and staring at you. You can create that element by writing all of those things in. You can also add a malicious paranormal force to each setting and that'll, you can enhance the feeling of isolation and ramp up the anxiety of a scenario. Um, use your own fears because nobody knows um, a fear like you. If you're afraid, if you're afraid of heights, you can write that incredibly well because you can describe the feeling of the cold sweat breaking out on your skin. You can write the feeling of your heart pounding to where you feel the blood rushing in your ears. And you can feel the pulse in your wrist moving against your watch. You can write everything that you experience as you experience your fear. Um, use your own point of view on what is scary to fuel the way you enhance the scariness of your writing. And as I've said before, and I will say again, write what you know. If you're scared of open water, write it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. My, my live studio audience is trying to take credit for that, but I have said that for years. If you're scared of open water, you'll be able better to express the feelings of a character who wakes up on a raft in the middle of the ocean. I would be petrified. I would be frozen. Because my fear isn't of open water. My fear is of sharks. If your biggest fear is flying, use that point of view to encapsulate the feeling in a way that others who share your fear can relate to. 
Don't try to scare your audience with a werewolf if you can't properly tap into that fear. I would suggest if you're trying to scare your audience with a werewolf, find somebody who has a fear of dogs. Talk to them about what they see, what their point of view is. Because a lot of people who have a fear of dogs, all they see are the teeth. And the, all they see are the, the nails, the claws. To them, look like claws. So write longer sentences. Don't, like, short staccato sentences can be good for um, creating caution, creating confusion, or creating um, that <coughs> point that you want to get across. That that immediate, yes, David K. Montoya does that a lot. I've used it, I use it as well. I've used it, um, actually I've used it in uh, penance quite a bit to, to stop a scene, <clears throat> to bring that scene to an abrupt end. But Writing longer sentences provides, um, will heighten your reader's fear by reading paragraphs with longer sentences. It provides natural pauses for readers to take a breath, but if you stretch out your sentences, you can build anticipation for the reader, which they might not even realize until they reach the end of the sentence that they've been holding their breath. By using tactics like this, you immerse the reader in your horror story, making them feel what the main character feels and creating a heart-pounding connection. Make your writers breathe faster. And we were just talking about that. Whereas long sentence can amplify the intensity of a story, short one-sentence paragraphs can force your readers to take more frequent breaths while following your narrative. Because to a reader, a period is a pause. A period is a place to take a breath. So if you have three or four words in a period, three or four words in a period, three words in a period, two words in a period, three or four words in a period, they're taking a breath every single time they come to. So by the time they get to the end of that paragraph, they're <laughs> and like they're out of breath and they're gasping and they feel like they've just ran through the forest with that person. So crafting abrupt line builds tension in your scary story writing, making the reader's eyes move more quickly down the page, searching for the relief that the protagonist is safe. This can make your audience breathe faster, contributing to the feeling of panic and anxiousness. Leverage fear of the unknown. I cannot stress this enough. Leverage fear of the unknown. Okay, fear of the unknown is a common theme that can be tracked throughout many of the best stories in horror fiction and horror movies. When there is something that negatively affects us that we cannot control or properly identify, it creates a feeling of panic and dread. And that can be traced back throughout the ages. Um, blaming things on witchcraft, blaming things on dragons, and blaming things on pixies and fairies and and um, milk curdling because a witch came through town or something. not understanding the scientific reasons why these things were happening creating fear and blaming you know fear of the unknown um teasing your readers with something not quite definable or a bad guy no one knows how to stop can increase the level of tension and fear when writing your horror stories. And if you've been following along with Penance, we are at the stage now where the bad guy has now been revealed as being pretty much immortal. 
He's a vampire, which means he's immortal. He'll live forever. But you can kill vampires. But he's a phoenix, which means if you kill that vampire, that vampire is going to die. It's going to burn up. It's going to turn to ash. And then that vampire is going to rise again from those ashes. Unkillable. So now they have to figure out how to kill him. So you see how I'm kind of following with penance? I'm following this guideline of how to um, avoid cliches. Cliches are boring and predictable. And a horror scene that is predictable is not likely to be scary. A good horror story can still use familiar horror tropes. But a great horror story makes them its own. Which means you can take the vampire legend. They drink blood. They can't go in the sunlight. And then flip it on its head. Create your own vampire. Make those parts your own. Make the bad guy the good guy. The one that's helped out throughout the entire movie. He's the good guy. He's been there supporting like in Scream. Right there. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Come on. Can't hear you. I'm not reading your lips. Unmute. Can't hear you. Come on, live studio audience. I knew you couldn't stay quiet for long. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I knew right away, though. I didn't like that little weasel. Anyway, see, I told you he'd be on the show. <laughs> um, so you can take those familiar horror tropes, the uh, burned up dude in the basement killing everybody in dreams, and flip it around, make it your own. Find, look beyond the obvious when you're trying to write a scary scene. What is something readers wouldn't expect? How can you surprise them with fear? Like To Kill a Mockingbird. Let's take that. It's not a horror story. But everybody's looking at Boo Radley from the beginning of the book as this big, huge baddie. And even the characters in the book are afraid of Boo Radley. And what it turns out to be is just a poor guy with agoraphobia and no friends. So you're you're reading this and you're following this and you're thinking that this is the big baddie in the book and this is the guy that actually killed the people and it's not. So you can do something like that where you flip the narrative. How can you surprise them with fear? Something, and, and I know in horror movies, it gets me every time you're going along the music and like a lot of times you can tell what's going to happen by the music. So a lot of times it's the same with writing. You can tell that something bad is going to happen by the way the writing changes. It becomes more descriptive. It becomes longer sentences and then you get the shorter sentences and, you know, there's more action than there is talking. But it's when you're just kind of going along and you're reading or you're watching the movie and everything's lovely and then wham, bust out of nowhere. Takes you out. Final destination, you're driving along and all of a sudden there's a log truck. That scene has created a sense of dread in Gen Xers everywhere. 
There is not one of us that has seen the movie that cannot look at a log truck and want to get the hell away from it as fast as humanly possible. Even though you know those logs are tied down, those steel girders are holding them puppies in. They're not coming out. You don't want to be anywhere near that. You don't want to be behind it. You don't want to be beside it. You want to be in front of it and 30 miles down the road. Innocuous fear. It is an innocuous object. It is just a truck with logs that was used in a movie to create fear. Took out a whole bunch of people in the process. That's the horror part of it. But the simple fact, the visual now of seeing that log truck and what it does to people of my age because of that movie is hilarious. I mean, even, even myself, I they drive down my street every day, right down my street, in front of my apartment. I see them every day. And every time I'm Final Destination, <laughs> every time I see it, practice. If you're struggling to get a handle on writing a good story that's scary, write practice with story prompts. Mike, this one's for you. Writing prompts can expand your range of thinking and open up new avenues of imagination that you hadn't thought about before. If you're stuck, use a prompt. Practice, practice, practice. I had a friend message me earlier today and he says, okay, so I want to be a writer. What do I do? I'm like, dude, you're already a writer. He's like, well, no, I'm not. He's kind of stuck. He has no ideas. He has nowhere to go. So I told him to take a story that he has already written. Because everything that he writes is a lot like everything that I write. It's not quite over. <laughs> and work on that. And then I gave him a prompt. I said, I want a Halloween story. Four children. With family-friendly scares. Go. And he gave me a thumbs up. So we'll see what he turns out. But it's good practice for him because he's an excellent writer. He has written some incredible things and then he kind of wanders away. And I, I'm, I'm one to talk. I have not written anything of substance other than penance in a long time. Um, <clears throat> as of the 8th of November, that is about to change. So... I do a whole lot. I write a whole lot better when I'm near you than I do when I'm not. So. Okay, well, that's because it was a true story. <laughs> all right, I did. All right, all right. I retract my statement. I did write something of substance. I wrote the entity for Unwelcomed, and it was a good story. Um, I did take liberties with it because... It was a great story. I'm getting glared at. It was a fantastic story. Okay. Um, I did take liberties with it and kind of punched it up a little bit in, in spots and, and created some scenarios um, just to kind of protect those that were involved. Um, and names were changed and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. Practice, 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 practice. Now, you want to write a screenplay. Everybody wants to write the, be the next best horror screenplay. 
there are five things that you need to do. Whether you're writing a screenplay, whether you're writing the next best horror novel, whether you're writing a short, scary story, there are five things that you need to do. You need to take the audience inside the mind of your main character. The closeness to the character's experience will make their fear more real. You want viewers to identify with the protagonist and experience the horror as their own. So you want to write a character that your readers can connect with. Average, everyday, run-of-the-mill, nothing special kind of character that has struggles and problems like everybody else so that they can connect. And you want to almost create a sense of pity. Well, maybe not pity, but empathy with the character. You also need to hook your readers right away. It's the same with writing a screenplay. You want to hook your viewers right away. Quickly introduce the main characters, time, and the place so the audience is best invested in the action. You can start with a shocking first scene to set the tone right away. So if you're writing about these gruesome murders that are happening, you can start your story with the murder scene or the murder itself. Keep all of the characters in shadow so you don't know who the players are. And end the scene with the face of the deceased or, you know, the dismemberment, the whatever. Describe the murder as it's happening and then go from there. Take it to, you know, whatever. Tap into your own fears and use them to your advantage. Think about what spooked you as a kid or still scares you now and access the same feeling of panic when you set up a scene. Because if you're afraid while you're writing, if you've tapped into that emotion, that panic, that adrenaline, that's going to come out in your writing. It's going to come out in the words that you choose to use. Because when you're in a calm, relaxed, mellow kind of frame of mind, the word choices you're going to make to describe a scene are going to be different than those whether you're in a frantic, chaotic, panicked state of mind. Turn normal, familiar locations into scary places. Instead of using tired horror backdrops like a spooky European castle, try using a regular neighborhood, a school, a backyard, abandoned house at the on you know back roads in the country. This lets people identify with the setting and picture themselves in the middle of the action. I mean, think about it. when you're watching Halloween. And the kids are all trick-or-treating and it's daylight and they're walking around and you see Michael Myers step out from behind that hedge. That scares the hell out of you. And you're walking down the street looking at every hedge thinking, is he popping out? What's going on? But it's an everyday innocuous setting. Normal, average, Main Street America, Main Street Canada, with suburban houses, and privacy hedges and a killer standing right there. Broad daylight. Master the art of building suspense. Now, the secret to suspense is the unknown. You need to write scenes in which the character doesn't know something. What's pounding on the door? What's scraping across the ceiling? How to find their way home? Build suspense by heightening sensory details and slow down the pacing of the action of choice moments.
like when something bad is about to happen. So a lot of times when you're reading a story, you know what's going on. You know who said what because you've read those conversations, especially if you're head hopping from character to character to character. But in writing a good horror story, you want to keep the point of view in the the main character. You don't want to head hop. You don't want to go from character to character because then you're going to give away too much of the story and you're going to alleviate that fear because they're going to know what's going on. So if you stay with one point of view throughout the story, then your readers are receiving the information and they're receiving the scenes and the clues and the scares at the same time as your character. Um, Subvert expectations. Identifying a trope within the scary movie genre or the scary story genre and then find a new way to tell that story. Find a new way to freshen it up, to give it a twist. Uh, the vampire's the good guy. The hermit that lives at the end of the road and screams at children and throws rotten tomatoes um, is the good guy. And the blonde Greek Adonis that lives next door cuts the old lady's grass across the road, you know, walks your dog and carries all of your stuff is the killer. Um, audience will think they know what to expect. And then you can pleasantly surprise them with a fresh take on a classic horror trope. Borrow from your influences. Don't plagiarize. Borrow. Watch horror movies and read horror novels to improve the quality of your writing. Ideas are often generated by absorbing story concepts from other screenwriters and other authors. Like when I went into Penance, I was rereading Laurel K. Hamilton. Um, I read a bit of Kelly Armstrong. And I started rewatching the originals. So it kind of put me in that mind frame. And I kind of borrowed a little bit from here and a little bit from there. Okay. Now, you also want to balance horror with humor. This is going to sound odd for writing a horror story or a horror screenplay, but you want to avoid putting too much horror in your screenplay. If you pile on one terrible thing after another, it'll feel too absurd to the audiences and they won't buy it. It'll also kind of um, think about when you're you're living your own life and you're going through your daily routine and you start getting hit with one bad thing after another. And then eventually it's just like, OK, here comes another one. Whatever. Here comes another one. And you're numb. You don't want to numb your readers. Use humor to keep the story entertaining and from getting too scary. It's a great way to achieve the proper balance between fantasy and real life. If the roller coaster only did twists and turns the whole time, it wouldn't be as fun to ride. So keep your humor in there and use it. A lot of, um, if you'll notice, a lot of horror movies follow almost a Shakespearean um, setup. They've got the bad guys, they've got the antagonist, they've got the protagonist, and then they've got the comedic relief. In Scream, you've got the, I can't remember his name, but he's the red-haired dude that works in the movie shop. And he's the one that's telling them all the, the movie, the horror movie tropes. You know, don't go off by yourself. Never say I'll be right back. Don't have sex. All of those things. 
he's the comedic, don't drink, he's the comedic relief. So have a character that kind of is a little flippant, is a little um, funny, and blend him into your story to kind of keep from getting the, the, the horror hits one after another. You don't want to numb your, your audience, but you don't want too much humor either. So you need to balance your horror with your humor. So not don't put too much horror and don't put too much humor. Now, there are um, 10 horror screenplays that this, I have a list here. Um, I didn't make this list, but I do recommend reading pretty much everything on here. Um, and these are, it will help teach you what goes into a good horror screenplay by reading and breaking down the most well-crafted horror scripts from the last 50 years. And I'm just going to read, there's, there's 10 of them. I'll read them to you. There's Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, 1968. The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty, 1971. Halloween by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. 1978. The Shining by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, 1980. Nightmare on Elm Street by Wes Craven, 1984. Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, 1989. Scream by Kevin Williamson, 1996. The Ring by Ethan Kruger, 2002. Saw by Lee Winnell, Story by James Wan, 2004. That movie messes me up, man. I can't. I can't. That one just... The fact that it's a person who's bored with his life because his life is ending creates this incredible labyrinth of horror and, and torture and evil. It's just the evilness and the, 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 the horrific deeds that one human can do to another human scare me far more than any fantasy creature ever could. And number 10 on the list, It Follows. No, The Purge is not on the list. What did you say? The Markers? Oh, The Mongers. I was close. Okay. My lip reading's a little slow. Um, it hasn't come out yet. I'm sure it'll be on here when it comes out. <laughs> so, number 10 is It Follows. That movie freaked me out. Oh, you haven't seen It Follows? Well, we're going to watch it. you got to watch it. It's by David Robert Mitchell, 2014. Incredible. Incredible. Um, and that's another thing. That's that's that that supernatural aspect that they were talking about. <laughs> Those five elements of a horror story: suspense, fear, violence, gore, and the supernatural. In it follows the supernatural aspect is it it jumps from person to person to person. Um, there's a movie I think it's with Wesley Snipes. I'm not sure. Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. He's chasing a killer, but the killer is the supernatural force, and it goes from like as soon as like he just brushes by somebody, and he can jump, person jump to the next one, and then the next one, and you never know who it is. It's it's, it's an incredible movie, but those are the kind of elements that you need 
for a good horror story and a good scary story or even a good horror novel. Um, I hope I have given you some useful information. I hope I have given you some new information. And I certainly hope that I have entertained you. Um, this is my not-so-master class on <laughs> how to write a scary story or novel or screenplay. So I think I'm going to <coughs> end the podcast here. I'm surprised I've actually lasted an hour and ten minutes. Um, my voice is getting a little rough, and I do have some sewing to do, and it's ten o'clock at night. I don't think I'm going to get any any done tonight. Um, but uh, I'm going to try and start doing things like this, like how to write a fantasy and uh, what makes a good romance and Harlequin versus, say, Danielle Steele, you know, stuff like that, and try and sprinkle them into my, my weekly um, I want to start bringing more intellect into my podcast. I've actually reached the end of my emotional journey, I'm thinking. Um, you kind of all been there to watch me fall apart and pick up my pieces and put them back together. Um, and I'm sitting in a very good place in my life right now. And I have plans. I have dreams. I have desires. But I also have all the love that I need with the people around me. So I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place spiritually. I'm in a good place emotionally, uh, financially, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. It'll always be it is what it is. I got a roof over my head. Um, I have places I can go for food. <laughs> and when I'm home, I have food in my fridge. So I'm not worried about the financial part of things. And I have... Um, incredible opportunities that are given to me, um, I guess just because I'm me. Um, I am the oldest in my family, so I am the one that is now in a position to drive my mother to Florida, which is what I'm going to be doing the 1st of November, and I will be wintering in the southern climes of Florida and California. So. Um, again, I will not have to deal with snow. I'm going to take my winter coat with me this time because it was a little chilly in California the last time I was there in January, in February. No, I wasn't there in February. I was there in January. Um, the beginning part of January. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm very blessed with my life right now. And, uh, I think I'm going to now take this into a more intellectual direction and impart some of my wisdom, if you will, or my knowledge. I don't know if we'd call it wisdom. <laughs> wisdom comes with age and I don't want to admit that I'm that old. Um, but some of my knowledge on a variety of topics. I know a lot of things. <clears throat> I don't know everything about one thing, but I know a lot of things, a little bit about a lot of things. So writing is one of the things that I know a lot of, and I know what makes a good story. I know marketing. I know, and I mean, yeah, you can look at my record and go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm very successful, blah, 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 blah. But I am. People know who I am. They may not know the books that I've written, but they know who I am. <laughs> Okay, 
So um, I'm going to end this and we are going to start a whole new chapter. All right, everybody, uh, have a good week. Remember, be kind, wash your hands, and don't lick shit. And I will catch you all next week. See ya. Carry on my way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.